All eyes were on Jimmy Moreland at James Madison Football Pro Day. Welcome in. This is the Rocktown Sports Pod by the Daily News Record. I'm Greg Medea, JMU football beat writer at the paper. Today is Wednesday, March 27th, and today we'll start with James Madison football. The Dukes held their NFL Pro Day on Tuesday. We're all scouts at Bridgeford Stadium. We're there to see one player. And that was Jimmy Moreland. There were others. They participated. Jamie had eight participate in total. But the scouts were there to see the cornerback, who was a consensus All-American last year at the FCS level. And I'll bring in Jim Sacco, the sports editor here at the DNR, uh, to talk a little bit about Moreland, too. No surprise when you when you see when you see the headliner and he's he's the the main event and the event the reason why everyone is there and those other seven guys can't be upset because there more scouts are in the building so maybe someone from the the you know from the the Seahawks or someone was there to look at Moreland and like ah you know maybe they hear something back oh we don't need a defensive back we're all right we don't need a returner we're okay there well I saw this running back by the name of Marcus Marshall you might want to give a look see at so I mean that's got to be bode well for I mean the more scouts you have in the building no matter what reason they're there the better off you are if you're one of the other guys that maybe not necessarily they were there to see. But, I mean, you know, Jimmy Moreland, goodness gracious. I mean, what, do you run a 4.4440, which is just slightly faster than what you and I run combined. Uh, I think I've said this before to you, if not on a webcast maybe we did up at the press box a couple years ago, is that he's a tough, If you're a fan, even if you're not a fan of JMU football and you're just outside looking in and you know his backstory, He's a tough guy not to root for because he got a second chance. He never left the school. He sat in the stands and watched that football team through streamers when they were scoring, and they just had to be eaten at him that one year. He was out, and he, you know, he with his tail between his legs, he went back and he asked a new coach, Mike Houston at the time, Coach, I want to get back and play. Mike says, all right, but here's what you got to do, and he did it, and he got well, I mean, his first year back, he saw limited stats. He was staff, a special right? teams guy. He yeah. played on the punt return teams, blocking for Rashard Davis, who had all those punt return touchdowns that championship season. He did the dirty work. I mean, that's the dirty work right there. And just proving, here's how badly I want to get back on this field and contribute. I will block on punt returns for crying. Who wants to block? Who wants to be a gunner on punt returns for crying out loud, you know? And the crazy thing is how hard that coaching staff pushed him and how on top of him they were. I mean, that's that's a tough position for every player to be in. So not only is he coming back worrying about, you know, doing everything right in school, making sure he stays out of trouble, when you get to practice and your cornerbacks coach, the, the former cornerbacks coach, Trip Weaver, that was there in 2016, I remember he would tell me, I got to watch Jimmy like a hawk and make sure he's doing everything right because Houston, the boss man at the time, was was all over Moreland, making sure he could do learn the plays, learn – Everything about how he wants him to fit in his culture, his identity at James Madison football at the time. And Moreland, to his credit, not only did everything right off the field and, and, and got himself together uh, just just with getting back, I guess, in the good graces of everybody in the locker room, but did everything right to appease Houston and, and get some playing time. And it's got it once again, that's something that's got to be very delicious for an NFL scout when you hear that. You hear that, you know, he you know, he was guilty by association, which was got him kicked off the team in the first place for that year by former coach Everett Withers. And he, you know, he 
did everything he was asked, and he went out there and he proved that I just want to play football. And he had, and he knew he had. A, when you when you come back from a situation like that where you're kicked off the team and you come back, you know that bullseye's on your back. Okay, you know you're under the microscope from the coaching staff and your teammates. So there's nowhere to hide. Okay, you got him up in the office, you got him down in the locker room. You didn't hear a peep. I mean, he just kept his nose down to the ground, did his work both in the classroom and on the football field. He's I mean, it's just if I'm an NFL scout and, and you know, that, that kind of story really entices me because it goes with the out of this world talent that he has. It's not like he's out there, you know, he's out there doing the physical stuff too. You know, he's he's pumping the iron, he's running a four point four four, he's catching kick punts with one hand. Okay, he's knocking down passes, he he's the career interception leader for the for the program at James Madison. He returned what, four for he had six six interception returns for touchdowns throughout his career yeah. at JMU, and and yesterday they just ran him through the gauntlet. The scouts, uh, that that's what happens though when you're not invited to the combine. All the scouts that needed to see you there show up show up at the pro day, and they they make sure they do everything they need to to get the full look uh, that they want to have. So it, it it started out he had to do all the you know the combine like testing, the shuttle runs, the forty, everything that that they they put the players through at the combine in Indianapolis this last month in February, each February I should say, and then they ran him through cornerback drills on the field, and then they were like he was done with cornerback drills had come off the field. Uh, I was talking to some of the current players that were there rooting him on. And then they were like, hey, you want to catch some punts? Uh, see what you can do there. And then he's out there catching punts in front of a Raven scout. And midway through the Raven scout, I want you to, I want you to catch it with one hand. Nice. And he, he, he takes one ball from the ground, puts it in his right hand so he doesn't, I guess he's not able to use it. And then all of a sudden, he's just catching balls with his left hand. And then he switches, does it with his right hand. Didn't drop anything. Didn't drop one interception pass. Didn't drop one punt. It was, it was pretty impressive considering... All the pressure that was on him. The other guys, they did. They had some. Jamie had some other players perform pretty well, but the pressure wasn't on them like it was on Moreland, where he knew that if he performs well, he's he's earning himself some money, uh, some big time money, and and probably to be the first Jamie player drafted puts himself in the position to be the first Jamie player drafted since 2013. So I think that's that's where the difference was between Moreland and everyone else. And I think if you're Jimmy, if I'm Jimmy and a, and a scout asks me to go out, once I'm all done and a scout asks me to go out there and, hey, try try this, I mean, you're going to have to wipe that smile off my face. I mean, you're, you're gonna, I mean, maybe sandblast it even for crying out loud because then I know. You know, he had to know at that point, okay, they like me and they want to see what else they can. If I don't fit their need here, can I fit their need there? And, and that's got to be just a, you know, a great feeling. I mean, I know there's no, you know, I know the NFL Combine doesn't worry too much, but someone's got to be kicking themselves in the ass for not inviting that guy to the Combine because I think that his numbers, uh, just based on your story, uh, I mean, he should have. He should have been there. They were all comparable. I think he had three different numbers. I'm pretty sure it was the forty, the three cone, and the vertical. Uh, that all would have been in the top ten for cornerbacks that participated at the combine. Had he done uh, those same drills and, and performed the same exact way in Indianapolis, so I think that's an interesting point. Moreland, after the event, he spoke uh, with me and a couple other reporters that were there. Dave Thomas, the radio guy for JMU, uh, as well as TJ Eck, the TV guy. Uh, he spoke with the three of us. Uh, just about how he thought he did in his performance and, and what's next. Uh, what's this process been like? Kind of everything and anything uh, that's been going on with Jimmy over the past couple months since James Madison's season 
ended, but it starts with his recap of, of his pro day. It felt really good, you know, watching the guys go. Got the guys here that's on, still on the team, um, getting everyone hyped up and ready to go. So it just felt good being back at, um, on Bridgeport Stadium. How tough is this Is this workout? They, they ran you through the gauntlet, huh? <laughs> I mean, it's not really tough. You know, it's very tiring. But, um, you know, once you get going, you get a little you know, condition back up, you know, you'll be good. You know, um, you got some guys around you that are helping you, that motivate you to get by, get through it. So, you know, it's real good to be out here. I know when, you, when we talked earlier, you said that the 40 was going to be the big thing. Did you, did you think you did pretty well? Um, I ain't I I meet my uh, my standards, but, you know, I did really well. Um, all the scouts told me I ran really well. Um, I did good on all the other drills. You know, um, had a good vert today. Um, I think I did all right, you know, on bench press as well. You know, um, I'm still mad right now at my 40, but, you know, I'll take that time. What's this whole experience been like through the senior bowl, through preparing for this and going through this day, just getting ready for the draft? What's this experience been like? I say it's a lot. You know, um, most of the days you and me's in all-star games, you know, um, I didn't get to go to the combine. So um, just hearing from the guys that went to the combine, um, it's basically the same thing. You always up, sun, sun up to sun down, you know. Um, going to the all-star games, I think the biggest one for me was um, the East-West game. Went to the hospital for the shrines, and just seeing those kids, man, you know, they, they, they make you put so much on you. You know, you realize how grateful you is. Um, the senior bowls was also a great experience. Being being around FBI, FBS guys, it was it was a really good experience from that. Out here catching some punts there mm -hmm. at the end. Uh, do you think that that kick return, or I guess the missed field goal return you had at the uh, <laughs> shrine game, is is put you on the map in terms of returner? I tell you what, um, we got Rashad Davis out here. Uh, you know. Being in front of him, you know, he'll tell you from himself that I can be a return man. You know, um, I think some of the um, teams want to see me as a return man. Um, the biggest, the field goal from the East-West game did help me so I can return a lot. But if you just go back and watch film on all the punts, on all the touchdowns, you see me in the front running with the, the returner, leading, leading the way. So, you know, I can be a great um, return man as well. Coaching you got the last couple of years help you get to this point. How, how much of that has come into play with now that you're getting you know, um, I had I had two different, um, well, three actually, um, cornerbacks coaches, um, Jules Montanar, Trip Weaver, and Kareko Wright. All three was a valuable lesson for me. Um, they taught me many great things. Um, I say Coach Trial as well. You know, all all the coaching stuff that's at ECU right now. You know, they saw what they had in me. You know, and they bought the best side of me. They made me the man I am today. And, you know, um, I, I give a lot of thanks to them. You know. If, I, if, they weren't, if they weren't here, I don't think I would be able to have this chance. So I just think that, that coaching style. So that was Jimmy Moreland. And, and what's next for Jimmy, he said he has a visit to the Chicago Bears uh, next week. He's also got meetings lined up going into the event. He told me he already had meetings lined up with the Tennessee Titans, New York Giants, and New York Jets. So there are plenty of teams interested. I just got to ask you because you're, you're a big Bears guy. How would he fit in Chicago? How, how would you see him in Chicago? Well, I mean, with the with, with the ha-ha Clinton Dick signing, uh, that kind of, you know, muddles the the Bears defensive secondary but Tariq Cohen their running back is their is their return guy now and, and if you you know Chicago fans such as myself still get on YouTube late and late at night when they can't sleep and type in Devin Hester highlights that's just a you know those that was was there a better three four-year run in return in the NFL in our lifetimes probably not you can maybe argue a few guys but I mean just from a Bears fan standpoint that was tough to you know that was one of the greatest greatest eras of that I've been around. You know maybe he's one of those guys. Maybe if the Bears do decide, I can't see the Bears using him as a you know top five round draft pick on a return guy. Uh, and you know 
I wouldn't mind seeing him return. He he can return punts and kicks. I mean, that's that's not an issue. I just don't know where, you know, if that era where, where the game is going, if, you know, they're talking about kickoffs and what they're going to do with kickoffs. They're talking about the dangers associated with punt returns and kickoffs and special teams. You know, where where is that going to be two, three years from now is the, the sad reality of, of the pro game. Uh, you look at the AAF or AAF is that AAF? Right? Yeah, yeah. There, no, no kickoffs. You, know, you, you see, you, you hardly ever see a kicker on the field except for you know punts. I think field goals. Yeah, punts field, and field goals. goals. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know where the game is going in that aspect, and I don't know. You would know. I mean, you, thankfully for me and for the readers, you're the JMU football writer here at the Daily News Record. I mean, his size. I mean, he's not the biggest guy in the world lengthwise. I think I think the thing that helped him is that he ran well. Is that his speed makes up for some of that lack of size? Uh, one scout told me Moreland measured in at about five nine and a half. Uh, at five nine and a half yesterday at the pro day, uh, he's listed at five eleven on JMU's roster. So obviously there's some discrepancy there. But that that same scout had told me he doesn't think it's a real problem just because Moreland makes up with his speed and he's got this like natural instinct. When the ball is in his hands, now how that how that I guess translates to what you can do at corner against some of these you know six foot one, six foot two, six foot three big time receivers that can go up and catch the ball, I'm not exactly sure. But what Moreland, what I think really helps Moreland is that he can play special teams not only as the guy with the ball in his hand, but he proved you know all those times on punt returns, as I mentioned a little a little earlier, is that he can do some of the other things on special teams that those. Those fringe guys that are on the two deep, uh, like a slot corner, nickel corner, I think he could fit well like that. And I think he could play the true corner uh, in certain situations for for a team. Can he play the safety position? Because, I mean, if you look at that, I mean, you know. That's a little more physical, I think, right? The safety spot's a little more physical. But I don't want to compare an SEC player to a CAA player by any means. Uh, You know, with all due respect to everyone who plays in the CAA, but, I mean, you look at Eddie Jackson, the safety for the Bears, who had a really good year last year. He's six foot, I think he's, yeah, he's six foot 201, which seems kind of comparable maybe to, to Jimmy Moreland's height and weight. But, I mean,. I mean that I would leave that determination or that opinion up to you if he's if he's if he could possibly slide back to the safety slot. I think he's too good with his cornerback skill set to move him. I don't think an NFL team wants probably would want to mess with that. That that would just be at least my opinion. Uh, I think between the cornerback stuff, considering he could play the traditional corner or the slot corner, and with all these teams and what they do with slot receivers now, every team has one you know undersized, quick. Uh, quick athletic guy that can that can make plays. I think Moreland's perfect for that role. He played the traditional spot at JMU, but earlier in his career he played some slot corner uh, back in 2016 and had a big role in that Sam Houston State game that they won, and they absolutely kicked the snot out of Sam Houston State. Uh, he was in there at times at slot corner making plays. So I think I think he. I think he'd be pretty adaptable, uh, but I don't know about safety. I, I just okay. I don't know if there's the physicality there. I think he's too good with the ball in his hands to move him anyway. Uh, so that would just be my take. Uh, there were 13 scouts in attendance uh, on Tuesday at Pro Day. Tennessee, the Giants, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Minnesota, Detroit, Houston, L.A. Rams. I I scratched. I started to scratch St. Louis out. It, it's still it's still not it's still not a thing for me. But I guess they, since I played in the Super Bowl, I should I should have it down pat. I get more problems with the Chargers than I do with the Rams. I still put San Diego down. I know, that's that's a shame they left San Diego. Uh, Tampa, Cleveland, Chicago, Atlanta, and Arizona. So Cleveland might be a good fit for. I, them. That's what I was thinking too. I think Cleveland and, and the Giants too. The Giants need secondary help. 
Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I think there's a spot for him for sure in the NFL, especially when you consider how pass-happy the league is. Everybody's looking for a corner that can play. And if you have a guy that can turn you know, potential touchdown passes into defensive touchdowns, uh, he's, he's definitely the guy. Yeah. I mean, do you, do, you, do you think he gets drafted? I, mean, is I do. He, is he, I do. I think he breaks the, the we're draftless, in, we're in agreement the there, draftless rut. I think, I think he breaks the draftless rut next month. So, uh, so yeah. So, Jimmy, a, a very successful pro day from Moreland. I thought another guy, just to mention a couple of the other guys who participated, uh, Marcus Marshall, I thought he had a strong day. Uh, the running back. Uh, I know he, he, he was talking with a Titan scout afterward. Uh, so maybe there's some potential there for Marcus Marshall as well. So and with Brian Shore there throwing passes for these guys, I, I hope that you know he's kind of letting know, hey, man, there's more than just the NFL these days. You know, if this is what you want to do and, you, and it doesn't work out right away, you know, Come, you know, it's 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 be- it's nice up north. You know, it's nice in the AAF. You know, or, well, I think that's why some of these pro days are so important. Is that guys kind of put themselves out there? Is you know, if, if the NFL doesn't work out, you know, not only is there the Canadian League, there's the XFL, the new XFL that'll start up, the AAF. There's arena leagues. I don't know if you want to go play in an arena league, but there are other opportunities. And even David Eldridge, who ran a great shuttle time yesterday. Uh, I think it was 401 or 406. Uh, he he had told me, you know, he's open to anything. He's he's wide open. If the alliance wants to come call, and he's he's more than ready. And I think that's a good stance for some of these FCS guys to have because they're going to get overlooked, even if they they could play at the NFL. Uh, some of them just naturally because they're not playing SEC football every Saturday are going to get are going to get passed by, and and maybe the AAF's the way to go in the sense that. Uh, you look at what Anchor's doing now in Orlando, Hyman down there too, two former JMU players, and they're giving, they're extending that chance that they have of reaching the NFL. And they have a good opportunity with the way the AF has been doing things where they're, you know, non-guaranteed, you can go at any time, you know, just, it's almost like, yeah, we're kind of minor league football, we're kind of not. Exactly, exactly. So... Uh, good stuff there on James Madison's football pro day. Uh, the draft is next month, and I'll have plenty of coverage, I guess, leading up till then on, on Jimmy Moreland as we try to find out all the details of where he'll be headed. Uh, but, Jim, I want to change, change it up a little bit, go from pro day to opening day. This is a, this is a little pro sports yeah, uh, yeah. talk. but uh, with, with a local flair, though. It is, it is. It, we included the local flair because we had to. Yeah. Uh, these, the, you got Jimmy Moreland on the football side, and you got Eastern Mennonite Zone, Harrisonburg resident, Eric Kratz set for another opening day, and we, we have to talk about it because it's another start of a season for him in another city. <laughs> Let's. I, I. I know you took notes. I printed this out because I think just the dates here are, are just really interesting. So bear with me here. This is going to take a couple minutes. June fourth, two thousand and two. He's drafted the by the Toronto Blue Jays in the twenty ninth round. The first and the only Eastern Mennonite University baseball player to be drafted. November twenty eighteen. He's granted free agency. January twenty first, two thousand and nine. He's a free. He signs a free agent with the Pirates. November 6, 2010, free agent. November 12, 2010, signs with Phillies. December 3, 2013, traded by Phillies to Toronto. Back to Toronto. July 28, 2014, traded to the Kansas City Royals. June 21, 2015, selected by the Red Sox off waivers. June 29, 2015, hey, guess what? You're a free agent now. July 2nd, 2015. Hey, you're going to sign with the Mariners. July 15th, 2015. Oh, goodbye, says Seattle. 
July 17, 2015, hey, he latched back on with the Phillies. October 9, 2015, you're a free agent again. November 19, 2015, hey, I signed with the Padres. March 28, 2016, traded, by, traded to the Astros. Getting closer. May 22, 2016, Astros say goodbye. May 27, 2016, signs with the Angels. June 2011, June 2011, June 11, 2016, he's bought by the Pirates from the Angels. July 23, 2016, hey, you're a free agent. July 28, 2016, he signs back with the Blue Jays. November 7, 2016, you're a free agent. December 1, 2016, he signs with the Indians. August 31, 2017, he's purchased by the Yankees. November 2, 2016, he's a free agent. December 7, 2017, he signs with the Yankees. May 25, 2018, he's traded to the Brewers. We all know what he did with the Brewers in the postseason. We'll get with that to that in a second. Last or the, earlier this month, March this earlier this week, excuse me, he's traded by the Brewers to the Giants. My goodness, I hope he's got frequent flyer miles. I mean, he's got his, his vacations with his family are paid for for life. No doubt. Just and this is something me and you talked about before we started recording. Just think of all the cities, all the towns he's seen, oh, all the ballparks he's played in. And I'm not talking just, you know, big league ballparks. Yeah, yeah. He'll play in one of the most gorgeous ballparks in all of America now that he's in San yeah. Fran. But think about, you know, the, the little single-A ballpark in uh, Savannah or, you know, the, the little the little ballparks of the Eastern League. It's it's absurd. He's seen it all. I would love to, you know, we got to do that. We talk, Next offseason, we got to give Eric a call and, and get him in here. Because, I mean, that's what I want to talk about. I mean, yeah, the baseball career is fine and dandy, you know. But, I mean, just what he's seen, you know. Whether it be dry, you know, trying to sleep on the back of a bus, uh, what you know, staying at some you know, mom and pop hotel across the street from you know in in Kodak, Tennessee, before playing the Smokies, you know, I want to know, you know, where, where 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 is the best pizza, Aircrats? Where is it? You know, you know, who has the best fried chicken out there? You know, this is what I want to know. You know, the blazes with the numbers, which we'll get to eventually, but that's what I want to know. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable just to think about because we we we're mentioning that. You know, he's definitely seen probably all 50 states mm-hmm. uh, at least once. So, you know, that's that that's just the, uh, I guess, prerequisite of seeing, seeing quite a bit. So Eric's been around a good bit. He also, I, I think he played in that Japan series a few years he did. back. He did. Uh, so, and I wonder if he's played in Puerto Rico at all and maybe in, like, the Mexican Winter League or something like that. So he's probably, he's he's might be international too, you know. Yeah, so it, it's, it's really crazy. But he was traded uh, from Milwaukee to San Francisco. Last week, it's not the first time uh, he, he's been traded very close to the start of a season. Uh, and he was traded to a good spot because in San Francisco, he's going to be the backup catcher to to Buster Posey. Uh, Giants manager, I think, told the media uh, earlier, or maybe yesterday, uh, that Kratz was going to be Posey's backup catcher. Uh, so you think about Posey, he doesn't play catcher every night he doesn't catch every night he'll bounce over to first base and play some so I think this is a really good spot for Kratz uh, just in terms of playing time in Milwaukee they had just signed Grandall and Manny Pena was still there and Kratz knew 
Uh, he knew what the situation was, was if he had to be traded or it was going to be another start in the minor leagues. Uh, so this is, a, this is a good situation for Kratz. It is. And, and you know, reading, go, going back to the Brewers, reading some of his quotes, it seems like he's just – and when I say disappointed, I don't, I don't mean it – well, I guess I mean it in a bad way. But, I mean, he knew this was coming, I think. And, and I just think he seemed a little disappointed because he, he really in, – in the aspect of he really liked his teammates up there in Milwaukee. And, and I think he really liked Council, and I think they were all getting along. So, I mean, maybe this might be the toughest – I don't know. We'd have to ask him. But I think just reading his quotes and the quotes in the past when he's been traded – this seems like the toughest trade for him because it seemed like he was really fitting in with that clubhouse up in Milwaukee. Yeah, I remember when I talked to him before he went down to spring training, he kind of sensed uh, that it was either going to be him or Pena that to be gone from Milwaukee. Uh, and that that alone upset him because him and Pena had developed this good relationship of being a tandem backstop, platoon backstop. And and then he, he knew he knew it was over once they signed Grandal. And that's... That's the downside of when the Brewers upgraded their roster. Yeah. It hurt. It came at Eric Kratz's expense. So he moves on to San Francisco. Is as tough as it may be, he'll, he'll get a little more playing time. And it's it's a good move. I mean, that's what you want, especially when you got Buster Posey, who's going to slide over to first base an awful lot during the season. Is you you don't want a 21, 23, 24 year old prospect back there, you know, as your 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 second or third catcher. Okay, you need, you know, you need that. That you know, grizzled you know, Harrisburg resident veteran you know who's been there, done that you know, fifteen times uh, at the age of thirty nine. I mean, he's been here, he's done that. I think you need that with a pitching staff. I mean, you can't just go from Buster Posey to a prospect or a kid in his first or second year in the bigs. And I, I, in that aspect, it's a very good move for him. But I mean, it's you know, he can hit. He proved it. Yeah, he proved I mean, it in the that, biggest stage. I mean, in that in that NLDS win over the Rockies, I mean, five for eight, two RBIs. He had a double. He only struck out once. He batted .625. His OPS was one point three seven five. And you know, and here's this guy that no one, you know, no one heard of until ESPN lashed onto that story of the the, the thirty eight different jerseys or how many that his buddies raided his Harrisburg closet for. The phrase most associated with Eric Kratz, journeyman catcher. Yes. Well, <laughs> you gotta you have that. There. I bet there's papers all there's ML beat writers all over the country that have that hot keyed on their laptops. You know, if you hit Control Apple Five, journeyman catcher Eric Kratz just pops into your copy. It, it's a good. You know, it, he was gonna get at least in one more year in the bigs, maybe two. And it, you know this is a good move for him because it'll you'll see him a lot you'll see him more often. Well, and you think about it too you you read through all those transactions and there's a reason for it is because he keeps getting picked up somebody keeps signing him uh, you don't have a long transaction list as a backup catcher if uh, you know it only says released and then there's nothing after yeah, that. There's a need. There's, there's a need. There's a need. You know since 2015 when he was you know kind of became you know he proved he can stick he I guess he decided he was going to stick and. You know, since 2015, there's been a need for a guy like that. There's been a need, like I said, that that veteran, you know, that veteran. If there's, if you need a veteran, you need a veteran presence two places on your major league baseball team. Okay, you need one on the mound, and you need you need one behind the plate. And whether or not you know they're every day, obviously they can't be every day on the mound. You know, or they're you know it's once every three days for the catcher, once every five days, obviously for that veteran pitcher. I mean, you need that. That is the the calming influence for a clubhouse, and he just can't be a guy sitting on the bench being a calming influence. He's got to be a guy who's out there every now and then to be that calming influence. And I think this is just you know, and like he said, you know, he's 
he's not going to adjust or he's not going to ask the Giants pitchers to adjust. He's that's not how it works. He told I think he told ESPN or something like that. He, he, he's not going to be wide eyed no. catching catching Madison Bumgarner, whereas no. some rookie, you know, some rookie or some guy he knows has, he knows he has to adjust. Yes. You know, he's not an idiot. You know, yeah. he, if he was an idiot, this this transaction list would have ended at November third, twenty eight, or you know, twenty oh eight when the Blue Jays let him go, or he's a free, he was granted free agent from the Blue Jays. Yeah, he's he knows he knows the game and. Which is why he's still there. Which is why he's, you know, the, the man could walk on Eastern Mennonite University and not pay for a soda pop. Hey, the perks. Yes. The, per- the perks. Yes, the perks. I, I just wonder. I wonder who the best player he's played with. Is. Oh goodness! Let's I mean, see. you just you just run through the, the list of teams. He was on the. He was on. He was on. He was in the the bigs with the Yankees, wasn't he? And that was. Well, he was. He was in the big big league spring training camp with the Yankees yes, last right. year, and then he went down to what Triple A Scranton, I think, is okay. is the Yankees Triple A. Uh, affiliate, I, I, but he—I mean—he was in spring training with with Judge and, and Gene Carlo and those guys last year. Yeah, and I think he got—I think he got and when he was with him in 2017. I think he got a couple of—that's—that's that's probably true. I think he got a couple of dates up okay. up in the bigs, and I mean in 2017. Yeah, I mean look who he's with in 2017. Yeah. And think about the guys in Milwaukee last year, pretty good. Yeah. Braun and Mustakis and Yelich was the MVP, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah, that's another question yeah. to ask. Where's the best pizza, best fried chicken, most beautiful ballpark, best best road you ever been on on a bus, and the best player you ever played with? You know that you know that we'll always remember. Don't give me some guy like you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, Ryan Terrio because he was a nice guy and he bought you Cajun food one night. I want to know. Joe McEwing. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I want to know like who's the you know who's who's the you know who's the one you're always going to remember for his skill. You know, yeah. not who's the the best guy in the the locker room or the clubhouse. Yeah. So the Giants they open with three in San Diego starting tomorrow. Everybody starts tomorrow. Yes, uh, then they got three in LA before a ten game homestand, and then they come to DC. Mm. So Eric Kratz comes back east rather quickly in early East Coast swing. For the Giants. But you Mike Bocock will be there. A hundred percent. Bob Weiss, too. <laughs> yeah, Bob Weiss. Yeah. Remember, Kratz is a Harrisonburg Turk alum yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure Bob Weiss is very excited about all this as well. It's almost, all of EMU. All of EMU. One hundred percent. I'm sure Ben Spots will take take the boys over. Road trip. <laughs> yeah, why not? Uh how are your Mets looking, Greg? That, let's, that's that's let's, what. I, let's. You're wearing, you're wearing the Mets hoodie that you, that the, the listeners can't see. How do you feel about it going into this season, Bud? I I'm feeling very optimistic, which is very unlike me in the Mets. Uh, you think about that yesterday. He signed Degrom long term, uh, agreed to a deal. I watched some of the press conference today after the Mad Dog was on TV talking about it. Uh, impressive. They 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 finally paid up, ponied up for for probably the best pitcher in baseball, maybe alongside oh, Scherzer and Sale. Uh, so I, I I'm happy they they set that the right way. I'm happy Pete Alonso's on the team, gonna play first base. Uh, they weren't worried about service time. They're going for it. The division's tough. I don't know what happened, what'll happen in terms of division, but I think they're gonna be competitive. I think they're gonna be in play for at least the wild card. So I'm excited. Uh, now, next week, after three guys get injured, we'll talk again, and I'll have a completely different feeling. But uh, You weren't walking among us in 86, were you? No. No, 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 no. Okay. no. Okay. So this Not- is some- I'm going to say something that I've never said to anyone ever. Okay. So unlike me. You've never seen your team win a World Series in your lifetime. That is that is correct. Now I've been now I've been in attendance for two World Series losses. Really? Uh, yes, the Which Subway Series. 
Uh, Subway Series in 2000, uh, when the Mets were beat by the Yankees, I saw Mike Piazza hit a fly ball out to center field that I thought was gone, and it was not. Landed right in Bernie Williams' glove, and Mariano Rivera shut the door on the Mets. I wish you could see the pain. Dear listeners, I wish you could see the pain in this man's eyes as he's telling me this story. And then uh, a couple of years ago, 2015, uh, Lucas Duda couldn't throw the ball home, and Eric Hosmer scored, and... My dreams were crushed again. Yes. Now, the Mets, it's just it's just the way their history works. It's, you know, it's about every 12 to 15 years they'll appear in a World Series. They haven't won since 86. It's been a while. I'm hoping this group breaks that trend. But, but how about you? you? You got the Cubs who, you know, everybody's worried about Joe Madden, what's going on with the contract situation. How you feeling about the Cubs? This is a team that won 95 games last year. Yeah, 95 games with you, Darvish, gone all year and, and Chris Bryant out for, you know, in and out of the lineup for most of the year and still won 95 games. I think we were talking in text earlier today. I think Darvish in a so-so year is worth 10 wins. I really do. Uh, I think Chris Bryant at full health, which he appears to be, playing for a full year is got to be worth at least five, six more. Uh, but, I mean, you know, it's not like anyone in that division, the NL Central, got any worse. That, I mean, that, that, that's another division that's loaded. I talked about the NL East. You think about the Phillies, Mets, Braves, and Nationals, and then you look at the Central. It's, it's a murderer's row. I St. Mean, Louis is good. Uh, they should be better, at yeah. least. And Milwaukee's won the division last year. Cubs are involved. Reds are young and Puig's there though, and should be improved. I don't know about the Pirates. I really don't. Uh, you know, and it's nothing against the Pirates. I, I enjoyed that one year be there. Careful, they are our bosses. Yes, yes. <laughs> World Series win, I tell you. Uh, but like we were ta- saying over text, I think you Darvish and, and, and I'll G rate this. I'll G rate this up for us. It's run. Uh, you know, the, 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 my te- I think you Darvish is going to jam it down the throats of a lot of people this year. I think if he's healthy, you's going to have a, a good year. Uh, I, but at the same point, I don't know. I have no read. I think this team can, A, win a World Series. I think it could, B, miss the playoffs. But, you know, I it's baseball, man. And, you know, they can go – they can revert back to the days when I was, you know, 86, 87, and they were losing 100 games a year. And, you know, it's baseball, man. I still have MLB The Show to play, and I'll still watch every single one of their freaking games on, on MLB TV and sit out my back deck listening to them on MLB radio. Yeah, these games, I mean, they could just go – I mean, they could go on forever. Which you is know, hard, which I, is that's how I like the summer. That's you know? how I like it. And we've talked about this before with the the, pay, the the pace of the game, you know. Hey, when I go to ba- – baseball is a social game. When I go to an NHL game, you really can't talk to the person next to you except for the, you know, 20 minutes in between uh, periods. You go to a football game, you know, whatever. Whatever. You know, I don't. You know, I. I it's try, too cold. I try to time. avoid NFL games. Yeah. You get a lot of meatheads at NFL games. There's a lot of fights in the stands and whatnot. Uh, but baseball, you know, I was going. I went with my dad, and me and my dad would sit there and we'd talk about life and everything and baseball because there was just so much. And I wanted that game to last four and a half hours because I was with my dad. And that hasn't changed. Even if I'm now with my dad, I'm sitting on my back deck, I'm drinking a beer or two, I'm listening to the game on the radio, I want to sit out in that back deck, drink beer for four and a half hours. Because it's baseball. That's what I like about it. I don't get the pace of play. I wish the, the commissioner would just stop. Yeah, don't you don't need to speed up anything. It, for me, it's fine. Let the pitchers take their time between pitches. Let the batters do what they got to do. Let the game just be played. It's a thinking man's game. Uh, there's, there's there's no one out there going. You know, if this game was 
was only two and a half two and a half hours. I'll start watching baseball. There's no one out there doing that. You know who who says that? Either you watch baseball or you don't watch baseball. The only thing I think they should change is I want to see more day games during the World Series and the playoffs. I want to see more. I mean, that's where you get your fans right there. If you want your your passive fans, I would like to see maybe a Saturday afternoon World Series game. I would love to see a Saturday afternoon World Series game. I like to see a Saturday afternoon NLCS and or NLCS ALCS. I think that's where they're kind of missing the boat. Yeah, they're, they're missing a younger audience there, especially especially when you got kids that you want to eventually grow into fans for life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're missing the boat there. I think that the scheduling thing, uh, some of the scheduling stuff, it just just irks me. Uh, like when the Mets they'll they'll play a a night game in Miami next week before going home the next day to play a 1 p.m. home opener. For me, fix some of these problems. You got the Yankees and Red Sox. Uh, they're going to play a bunch of games, but the Yankees, I don't think, go to Fenway Park until July. The Red Sox will have a home game in London when they play that weird series in London. Uh, for me, you got to get some of those things right. Those are the things that irk me. And don't even get me started on interleague play. I can't stand it. They got to fix the leagues because it's it's horrible. Your Cubs open in Texas. Yeah. That traditional rivalry yeah, between the, the Chicago Cubs and the Texas <laughs> Rangers. Yeah, I don't. I you know of all the things to fix, it's got to be the scheduling. I, I think. I think maybe it start it starts a little too early. The season you're gonna have a lot of snow outs up oh, I, north, yeah. uh, and, and that whole you know the whole postseason schedule. I, I just would like to see, like I said, a Saturday or Sunday, Saturday afternoon, sa- Sunday afternoon games in terms of the World Series and the, the CSs. Uh, you know, they do it with the DSs. Uh, you know, you get a couple of, you know, Thursday afternoon games that everyone's playing, and that's fine. But, I mean, I, I want to see a little more of that once it comes to the postseason. That's where we'll break the Major League Baseball conversation. Good stuff. Jim, opening day tomorrow. Get excited about that with Eric Kratz and the Giants. Uh, now, as, as, as I'll, I'll switch gears, though. We'll go back to James Madison Sports. We opened with Jimmy Moreland uh, and his, his sensational pro day yesterday. Uh, tomorrow, the James Madison women's basketball team plays in what could be the most important WNIT game in the tournament's history. Yeah. Um, this is Shane Metlin, by the <laughs> way. I bring in Shane, the James Madison basketball beat writer. Yeah. Um... Sounds like they're selling a lot of tickets over at the Convocation Center right now. They're tweeting about, you know, the reserve seats uh, going fast here, about to run out of them. It'll be interesting to see what kind of crowd they have tomorrow when uh, Kenny Brooks comes back to town. Yeah, the James Madison women's team, uh, they're 27-5 and now, a great record, hosting Virginia Tech 22-11 and on Thursday, tomorrow night, 7 p.m. in the third round of the WNIT at the Convocation Center. And yes, this is this is the storyline. This is the only storyline, really, is Kenny Brooks, uh, former James Madison coach. He's in his what third season at Virginia Tech. Yep. After 14 seasons at Madison, returning to Harrisonburg. What's where is everybody at? Kenny, Sean, the players. What's the conversation right now uh, over in that James Madison locker room and that Virginia Tech coach's office? I guess. I think everybody's excited about it. You know, um, I talked to you know both Sean O'Regan and Kenny Brooks. You know, this week, and you know, there's there's mixed emotions. There's you know a little bit of trepidation when you know the the mentor meets the mentee for the first time, and you know, guy coming back to his old program. Not not just his old program. He didn't just coach here for 14 years. He 
played here, went to school here, grew up in the Valley. Um, JMU's been a huge, huge part of this guy's life, and he's coming back to coach against them, which is something he, you know, I think he knew would eventually happen, but it's not the aspect of the whole moving on to the ACC program. That That's not the part that he was looking forward to, I don't think. Yeah, here, here's Kenny Brooks. You, you got a little audio from Kenny uh, just on his thoughts about the game and, and the mixed emotions he has returning to Harrisonburg. So, it's, it's a mixed, mixed bag of emotions. Um, and obviously, we're very happy that we are still competing and uh, we're looking to try to go one step further than we did last year in the WNIT. Uh, this is an opportunity, but um, you know, to say that you know it's just another game. Um, it's not, you know, because you know I have I have a lot of fond memories there. Um, you know, it's my school. Uh, I played there. I uh, played, you know, for the men's program, and you know, so there, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot. So coming back there is going to be a mixed bag. At JMU, Kenny was 337 wins to 122 losses. Had six trips to the NCAA tournament, uh, five to the WNIT. Is his legacy, I guess, being talked at all by talked about by Sean at all, and just just the people around the program with with him set to return uh, to the sideline? I mean, Sean definitely gave him almost immediately when asked about this matchup coming up, and almost immediately it's Sean O'Regan giving Kenny Brooks as much credit as possible for. Where this program is right now, how it you know became what it is, they're in the postseason for 14 straight years, and you know Kenny Brooks was a coach for the vast majority of those, and um, you know 337 wins is a lot of wins. He's he's passed the 400 win mark in his career this year. Now at Virginia Tech, you know coaching. So what? He's been coached for 17 years total. Head coach. I mean he's going to be up there, you know, in the 800-win range, which is, you know, Hall of Fame territory for a guy, depending on what, what he can do at Virginia Tech. You know, the standards are a little bit different as far as, you know, the making, making, deeper NCAA, making deeper NCAA runs and things like that. But what he's done in his career is pretty amazing. Who's left on the roster that he recruited? Um, so Logan Reynolds, Ania Young are the seniors on this team, and uh, Redshirt Jr., Kayla Cooper Williams all played for Kenny as our as our freshman year, um, and then the junior class, uh, Kamaya Smalls, Lexi Barrier, Devin Merritt, they signed to play for Kenny Brooks, and then he took the job, and they stayed on with uh, Sean O'Regan, who was also very involved in their recruiting process, being the assistant under Kenny for nine years. I, now I don't know if you've talked to any of the players yet, but if you have, what's kind of the the feeling there? Um. They're excited. I I know Kamaya Smalls brought up unprompted that she was very excited to play this game. And I, I don't even know if it's as much about the Kenny Brooks connection for them as it is playing that in-state ACC team and a chance to maybe prove something after, you know, what happened to get them into the NCAA tournament. They lost their two regular season games against major conference opponents. Um, so I think they have a little something to prove here. And, you know... Maybe maybe making the coach think twice about leaving them behind is also maybe going to play Just into a little, it a little bit. bit. Yeah. To get to get to this point of the WNIT tournament, JMU beat North Carolina A&T forty-eight thirty-seven and South Florida seventy-one fifty-four. Virginia Tech they beat Furman ninety-two sixty-five and VCU eighty-two to seventy-two. 
just in terms of the game, the styles of play, is it similar uh, since Sean, Sean has spent time with Kenny? Uh, how, how would you kind of assess that and just how it plays out on the floor? Oh, yeah, they're very, they're very similar coaches. Sean learned a lot of what he does from Kenny. Um, they recruited these players together, so they built their style around, you know, having these kinds of players. And, you know, they have similar rosters at this point. They've had similar seasons. Um, I think, you know, we're getting to the point where both of these teams and the teams that they'll see down the line could have easily been NCAA tournament teams. And, you know, we're getting to that caliber of play. Um, and, you know, it, it just take all the other stuff out. It'll be an interesting basketball game to see, you know, two coaches who know each other well, players who know each other well, you know, some played against each other or with each other in high school. It, take all the, like, emotional stuff out of it. It'll just be interesting to see the basketball teams match up. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to ask you about Kamaya Smalls. I know the last time we talked on this podcast – uh, it was it was not negative about Smalls, just negative that she had an injury uh, that ultimately hurt them in terms of making the NCAA tournament. How's she doing health wise? I, I know she's she's playing. Yeah, she's better. She sat out the opening round NIT game. I think you know similar to the CAA tournament, they hoped they could let her rest, let her recover a little bit, and still advance to the second round. And they got through this time. Um, and she played, scored 17 points, made her first shot of the game against South Florida. Had, had a really good game. Um, you know, maybe wasn't 100% herself, but, you know, she definitely was effective. Uh, probably the biggest problem for her right now is sometimes just catching the ball is a little bit more. Hmm. But once she has it, she seems to be able to handle it and shoot and do what she can do with it. But just uh, that with that hurt hand, sometimes actually receiving the pass is the biggest problem for her. And your story today on Devin Merritt, she's playing better? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's not that she's played poorly all season. It's just that um, the opportunities for her to get more involved in the offense have been there with uh, Kamaya and Lexi Small, Lexi Barrier missing, and Lexi Barrier still out of the lineup. That's, you know, 12 points a game that they're looking to replace. And, you know, they maybe do feed it into the post, looking for the offense a little bit more as Whereas early in the season, Devin might catch the ball and almost be immediately looking to kick it back out uh, and getting a lot of her points either just on offensive rebounds or, you know, open situations. Now she's creating a little bit more offense herself with, you know, taking one dribble, pulling up, hitting the mid-range jumper and, you know, taking it to the basket, things like that. Virginia Tech players to watch? Um, Well... You know, I think uh, people will be very familiar with the uh, Brooks girls, you know, Kenny's girls. Um, but, you know, they're they're a pretty balanced team. And um, they had an interesting season. Their record isn't as shiny as JMU's, you know, at first glance. But they uh, played a lot of ranked teams in the ACC. They had a bad stretch, I think it was through January, where they lost a lot of games. That probably kept them out of the NCAA tournament. But they've had some good wins against ranked Florida, Syracuse. Um, well, that was, uh, Syracuse is actually getting they lost in overtime to a top 10 Syracuse team at the time. Uh, so, you know, they are very capable. I mean, you know the Convocation Center is going to be very fired up. It's going to be, you know, maybe an atmosphere a lot of these women's basketball players aren't used to playing in. But... Um, it should be a pretty pretty competitive game. I, w- I won't ask you for a prediction about the game, but I'll just ask you this. Uh, when we talk next week on the podcast, will we be talking James Madison women's basketball, or will you be on a lacrosse or, or softball this time next week? Uh, hard to say. Um, 
I think if they can get past this game, there's a very good chance they'll still be playing, and we might be talking about you know looking ahead to the championship round if uh, we're still still talking women's basketball next week. So it'll be James Madison and Virginia Tech uh, in the WNIT tomorrow night, 7 p.m. tip at the Convocation Center. Uh, thanks so much, Shane, and and I'll, I'll bring in a Hokie alum. Uh, a proud Hokie, as, as we found out last week on the podcast. Cody, uh, how are you? Well, I'm doing well. Well, we uh, survived a week of the NCAA tournament, so I'm feeling good about my Hokies. Um, now, you know, just... Are you, are you going to go up to D.C.? I am not. I actually I looked up the tickets for that. It was uh, <laughs> a pretty hefty price, a little bit out of my pay range as a uh, sports journalist. So <laughs> Okay, okay. I, I, I looked at the prices, too. I'm going to the Met game on Saturday okay. in D.C., uh, the the Mets Mets Nationals game and I was I just peaked it Friday night just because I was like man it'd be cool to see yeah, Zion absolutely I guess a lot of people have that same thought of like it'd be cool to see Zion uh, those those prices are astronomical yeah I mean the D, the DC region is a very popular spot for a lot of uh, tech alums so I think it was one that kind of you know the tech message boards and stuff they had been talking about it before the tournament so as soon as that matchup I think as soon as it went final I saw a tweet the other night that I mean those those prices just skyrocketed so when you think about it too you got you got Duke Virginia Tech Michigan State and LSU. Duke obviously is going to send a whole bunch of fans. That's a national brand, right. and North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina is not too far away either. And then you got Virginia Tech, Blacksburg is right down the road. Right. And then you got Michigan State, a school that travels well. Don't know how much LSU travels for basketball, but I know from from covering them a few times in football, mm-hmm. they travel a good bit. So interesting region there. So I guess, I guess that leaves you. Plenty of time to cover the high school sports this week. Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, um, I, I will have that evening off to watch the game, at least from my home. Um, there's no prep sports here on Friday night. So, um, yeah, we're just we're, we're in spring break this week. Um, the kids are out of school. So we've had a couple games here and there. Um, not quite as busy of a week as usual. But, um, yeah, we're still getting out there. And, you know, I've been to a couple couple baseball games. And I froze last night at a soccer game. So. I was going to say, what was it? Earlier this week, you were at Page County Baseball and saw a pretty good one, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a, a really good game, a pitcher's duel. Um, you know, Page had T.R. Williams um, on the mound. He actually came out after the fifth. Um, he had a no-hitter going. Um, came out, though, with a, a knee injury. Um, you know, it's, it's nothing serious, but uh, Wayne Kramer kind of said he just didn't want to push it too much. And then uh, Nick Jenkins for East Rock, he actually had a no-hitter going until the final two innings. Um, had only given up two hits going into the final frame. And then ended up giving up a two-run uh, walk-off homer uh, to, to Page County to win. So, um, yeah, a really good game that night. It flew by, but uh, that, was, that was one of the better baseball games I've seen this year. Okay, so, so let's start with baseball then. Uh, and, and, and just in a sense of kind of figuring out some of these district races and how they're shaping up. Well, let's start in the Shenandoah district since we just talked Page and East Rock. Are those the two teams everybody will be chasing? How, how do you kind of assess uh, the Shenandoah District race baseball, at least at least early on. We're a couple weeks in now. Yeah, I think that game showed East Rock can play with Paige, but at the same time, I think kind of we talked a little bit last week, I think the Shenandoah is just so loaded that any of those teams can beat anybody. I mean, even one night later last night, 
Um, Page County played Buffalo Gap and had a one-run lead going into the final inning. Um, ended up getting three runs and winning 5-1. But um, I think Page has kind of separated themselves just because of their pitching staff um, with T.R. Williams and a couple of those other guys, uh, Chase Combs and some of those guys. They, they can really – they've got one of the better pitching staffs in the district. And so I think in a league where it really can go either way and everything's about even, um, you know, having a good pitching staff is kind of the separating point. And I think that's what kind of has pushed Page a little bit above. And then I think you've kind of – I got you know a group of three, four, five teams there behind them: East Rock, Draft, Wilson, um, Riverheads that are kind of you know pushing, hoping to challenge Page. But um, I think that game the other night against East Rock just kind of put them, at least for now, as the the team to beat in that district. So you, you think you'll be covering a lot of Shenandoah district baseball here this this spring, really, as, as the as the schedule heats up. Yeah, I think that, you know, with, with East Rock and Page, I think both of them have a chance to make a good run. I think Page, certainly, like Jim said last week, has a chance of repeating. And then I think East Rock, um, you know, like I've said before, if you get out of that district, you're, you've got a chance to go far. Um, it's like that in a lot of the sports, you know, those teams from the Bull Run haven't, you know, as fared as well. Um, and this year, looking just looking across there, some of those teams, I don't see as many that I think could beat some of these East Rocks and Wilson Memorials. So, um, yeah, I think those, those are two teams that certainly could make a deep run. Valley District baseball. How's it looking? A lot. I haven't heard. I haven't heard too much about the Valley District baseball this this spring so far. The Valley's been interesting. Um, you know, TA hasn't got off to as strong of a start as they probably liked. Um, they 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 they've only lost one game, but they haven't really looked as crisp as maybe. But that's I think that's part because they're a little young after losing so many seniors from last year's team. And then um, you know, Broadway is a team that that's playing pretty well. They've lost one game as well. There's no team in the district that hasn't already lost a game, and so we're only three or four games in, and everybody's already lost a game. So. It's, <laughs> Well, you can't win them all in baseball. Yeah, so, I mean, it, I think it's a district that's a little bit wide open right now. Um, you know, I think Four Defiance is up there. Turner Ashby's up there. Um, but, again, Rock, Rockbridge, you know, got one on a walk-off, uh, bases-loaded walk uh, last night against Fort. So, it's a, that's another league where it's a little bit, you know, filled with some parity. And um, I think eventually I think TA will kind of separate themselves, but they haven't played any district opponents yet. So, I think once we get into league play and the schedule kind of balances itself out, I think TA kind of has the upper hand there. Um, you know, Harrisonburg's really young. Broadway needed a, a late-inning rally last night to beat Harrisonburg. Um, so, I think after TA it's a little bit more even, but I think early on I would say they're still probably the favorite. All right. How about on the softball side? Let, let's go. To, let, let's just stay in the valley, and then we'll go to the Shenandoah. I, I, I've seen no hitters and perfect games, and, and TA and Broadway doing exactly what we thought they would do. Yeah, I mean that that district is absolutely loaded. Um, you've got TA, like you said, um, they're a team. I think they're the best team in the district. But then you've got a Broadway team, a little young, but they've got some really good pitching. And, um, you know, the irony of the perfect game last night was that it wasn't Taylor Hankins, the JMU commit. It was actually um, Grace Fravel, who, you know, she's kind of their second pitcher. She doesn't get as many starts. And then she comes out and throws a perfect game. So then you add in, and then a 14 that's um, been good for a couple years now, and they've, they've shown that they can play. And they actually um, had sort of had a win over Broadway, but it got – Pushed back because of because of weird rules with the VHSL, they were they took a lead in the top of the seventh and the lights and everything. So, regardless, you know I think those three teams are the three to beat in that district. I think you know the Rockbridge County, Waynesboro, um, you know that group down there, they're a little bit further behind. But those three teams, I think it's really going to be a fun race to see who comes out on top of that. But I think again, much like the baseball side, I think TA has the advantage. And in in the Shenandoah district for softball. 
Yeah, I mean, East Rock has has made some noise early, and I th- and kind of like the baseball game the other night. Um, it, it they lost by one to Page on a late late hit. Um, I think those two might be the favorites in that district. Uh, Wilson's showed a little bit of promise, but I think when it comes down to it, East Rock's got a lot of experience from last year, um, and they've showed they can play with Page. So I think it'll come down to those two. I think it's a little closer than maybe the baseball battle is, but um, I think East Rock and Page both have kind of separated themselves and set themselves up in a position to where they're going to be kind of battling for that district kind of team of the year. And on the soccer side, you were at Harrisonburg Broadway soccer last night on the boys' side. What? what, what I, I don't want to get too into soccer yet. That, that's you still need the, the conference races to heat up a little. District races, I would say conferences. Right. <laughs> district races to heat up a little bit. But what's just kind of impressed you? What stood out? Uh, early part of the soccer. You could go boys, could go girls here. However you want to take it. Yeah, I think on the boys' side, I mean, it's just Harrisonburg just continues to thrive. I mean, Spotswood's a good team, TA's a good team, and there's a a big game tomorrow night again between TA and Harrisonburg. But um, just watching that Harrisonburg team last night, and they they told me after the game they don't even feel like they're at full strength yet. They feel like, you know, they haven't had much time on the field throughout the preseason because of all the weather and everything else. So they're finally out on the field. They're they're so fast. They're young. Um, they possess the ball really well. They they move so fluidly. So I, I it's just really fun watching that team and um, for against a Broadway team that's really physical and you know relies a lot on its defense. They just really they had them you know kind of looking silly at times with how quick they were. So I think just I think they're the early favorites. Um, you know who knows? I think Spotswood has a chance. I think um, TA could make some noise as well too. But just watching that Harrisburg team at least last night. It was really fun to see, and it'll be fun to see how they progress throughout the year. All right, Cody, good stuff there on the prep on the prep sports. What's going on around the area? Uh, prep sports was big, big weeks ahead though, as as the softball and baseball seasons will heat up. Once the weather gets a little warmer too, it'll be. I think it'll be a little easier for you to get into the spring sports, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I sat in uh, thirty degree weather last night covering uh, the Harrisburg game, and even their their coach Paul Rath after the game is, is like, "Man, I cannot wait for this weather to warm up." So yeah, I, I think, think we're all ready. Yeah, I think I think I think that's definitely. Uh, the case. But that'll do it for this week's edition of the Rocktown Sports Podcast. Uh, big thanks, of course, to Jim and Shane. Uh, Jim for talking Jamie Football Pro Day and Major League Baseball Opening Day and Eric Kratz and all that. Earlier, Shane on the WNIT and, of course, Cody on the prep sports in the area. Uh, we'll do it again next week, probably back on our usual day of Tuesday. Uh, until then, I am Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in.